As we open God's Word this morning, I'd ask you just to, we prayed, and Peter, thank you for that prayer, thank you for that song selection, God with us. But I would pray this morning as we open God's Word that we just come before Him again. And let's just ask Him to really open our hearts to what He has to say to us this morning, all of us, including me as I stand here. So let's just pray together. Lord, we come before you, almighty, all-powerful, invincible, the all-knowing God. And we know that you are right here with us. We've just sung those words. And Lord, we pray that as we open your living word to us, that your Holy Spirit would do your work in us. Take away from us, Lord, all hardness of heart. Take away from us all presuppositions that we have towards what we might have read many times. And may, may we see your word in a fresh light as your spirit speaks directly to our hearts. Make us soft as butter before you. May your word penetrate and make the changes that you need to make in us because we all need change. Do your work, we pray. Amen. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14, is a passage that the Lord has really burnt into my heart. It was a passage that He brought to my attention when I was in Ethiopia. And I was about to speak to a group of young people. And I had another passage prepared, but the Lord put this one on my heart and I had to suddenly change. And that same burden is still on my heart and I need to bring that to you this morning. And there's our link to Ethiopia, the last of the report back sessions from that trip. And so I'd ask you to turn to God's Word this morning and we're going to read these verses together. And I'd ask you to open your heart to what the Spirit is saying through this passage to every single one of us here today. Everyone included. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, for the non-scientific among you, including myself, there's a diagram up there uh, before that in the introduction slide. And that's a 3D model, well, 2D in your case, but a model of a carbon monoxide molecule. All of us have to do with carbon monoxide. If you drive in a car, if you fly in an aeroplane, you will have to do with carbon monoxide in some shape or form. It's a toxic gas. It's colourless, it's odourless, you can't smell it, it's tasteless, 
And it's initially non-irritating. It's very difficult for people to just detect it. And that's why when you go flying in my good old aviation days, we had what they called a carbon monoxide detector. And it was a little, small little plastic gadget that looked like this. Cost about 17 cents in those days. Not much. But it could save your life, you see. And the way it worked is that if any carbon monoxide came into the cockpit at all, this little dot in the middle over here would turn black. And so you had to keep, as part of your flight checks, you had to keep watching that carbon monoxide detector. And if you saw it changing colour at all, you had to land immediately. Because you were in danger of dying. Literally. You see, the symptoms are lightheadedness, you start to get confused, you start to develop headaches, and then maybe in vertigo, which is not a good thing in an aeroplane, and then you start to develop flu-like effects. And uh, I'm no doctor, but they say that if you continue to be exposed to carbon monoxide, it will eventually lead to death. And you know, it's so dangerous because you cannot detect it. Your senses that you've got cannot detect it. And the only way to treat it is to be taken out of that situation and to be given oxygen. And if not 100%, then at least oxygen therapy. And so the antidote for this poisonous gas is oxygen, pure life. It's a great analogy for me there, you see. And this passage really points to a problem that is highlighted when we look at the whole issue of carbon monoxide. You see, there's a warning here for us this morning, and it's a warning here to believers. He's not speaking about unbelievers here. You see, unbelievers don't even have this issue in their lives, because the Bible says that if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not, if you haven't experienced the life of Jesus Christ in you, if you haven't bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are dead in your sin. That's it. I'm sorry. That's all the Bible says. And the only hope for you is to bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and to ask Him to come into your life, to take that deadness from you and to put life in its place. To make you a child of God. That is the only solution for your deadness. And if you're not a believer here today, that is the gospel message right at the start of a sermon to you this morning. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. That is all I can tell you. There is nothing else. But this word this morning that we've read is to you and I as believers here today. If you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've experienced His new life in you, then you need to sit up now because there might be carbon monoxide poisoning in your spiritual life. You see, the tone of this passage says this. Wake up. No, it doesn't. It says, wake up. There's urgency here in this passage, you see. And I've used this example before. If your house was on fire, or if your neighbor's house was on fire, you wouldn't go over, kind of go over to his house quietly, sit down, pull out a chair, crack open something cold, and start talking about the weather and the rugby. You'd say, hey, your house is on fire. And you'd probably be shouting that as you came running towards them. You see, that's the urgency in this passage. Wake up. 
Like with carbon monoxide poisoning, there are influences in your life. And that influence is called sin. And it's deadening you to your real situation in life. You see, it's the nature of sin. The the sin will anesthetize you to itself. Sin is in your life and you won't know it's there. Unless you've deliberately gone out of your way to sin, you won't know it's there. It It creeps into your life. And it's very, very hard to detect. And that's why we need this check today, you and I. There are some symptoms we can look for in our lives to cause you to wake up. You see, what are your attitudes like towards God and His words? Maybe you've found yourself conforming to this world. Maybe you've found yourself conforming to the attitudes of this world. Maybe when you look at people around you and you know they're not Christians... There's, no, there's nothing in you which says, I need to give them the gospel so that they can also be saved. There's no urgency in you anymore when you think, and see, think about and see the lost. Or maybe you turn to God's word once a week or so, and even when you do, there's no urgency in it for you. You kind of come because you know you'd better do it. But the words don't leap off the pages anymore at you. It seems lifeless to you. You see, that is also a symptom that there could be something in your life. Or maybe you couldn't be bothered to give time and effort to God's work. You hear calls going out for help around the church. You hear calls in the community. You see needs in the community. But you couldn't be bothered. There's no urgency in your life anymore. That's a symptom. Maybe all your time goes to appeasing your own desires, doing things for yourself. That's a symptom. Or maybe you're experiencing slow fades. You know what slow fade is? The relationship with Jesus isn't what it should be anymore. If you were in a love relationship with someone else, there'd be danger all around. Because you don't spend time with them, you don't speak to them, you don't phone them. And yet your relationship with Jesus Christ is very much in the same way. You hardly speak to him, you hardly think about him during the day. He hardly read his word to you. There's no love in your life for him. You don't feel something leap inside you when you hear the name of Jesus Christ anymore. There's a symptom in your life. Or maybe in your obedience you're starting to kind of take shortcuts. You hear God's word to you. You might have heard the challenge on your life from God's word, whether it's from a sermon here, whether it's from a sermon on the radio, whether it's something you've read in a book whether it's God's word that's been speaking to you, and you kind of sidestep those challenges. The slow fade has started to settle in on you. Maybe you don't want to be together with God's people anymore. You'd much rather spend it with your friends in the world, doing all kinds of things. Maybe you just couldn't be bothered to come to church on a Sunday anymore. In disobedience to the Lord, the slow fade has set in. And the passage to you comes this morning and it says, Wake up! recognize what is happening in your life. Do something about it. Your house is on fire. And this passage this morning gives us the treatment for this carbon monoxide poisoning in us. Verse 11 to 12 tells us, it says, salvation is near, says our passage. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What does he mean by that? 
You see, time has passed on in the meantime. I don't know if you remember the day when you were born again. I hope you remember the day when you were born again. It was a life-changing experience. But time has moved on in the meantime. History has taken place. I've shown that video clip quite a few times. His story right through from before creation right through to when Christ comes again. History has taken place. Salvation happened on the day when you were born again. And salvation is coming again when Jesus Christ comes. There's a gap, you see. And since the day that you were born again, time has happened. And you are closer to that day when Jesus Christ is going to appear. You must be closer to that day. Because he is coming again. Fact. So salvation is now closer than when you first believed. The day is at hand. What day? The day when Jesus Christ will appear. You know, and that's going to be some awesome day. We're just going to be going around our business. We're going to be coming to church. We're going to be going to work. You're going to be driving your car, listening to the radio. You might be doing what you do, out fishing with your boat. And suddenly it's all going to change forever. Jesus Christ will appear. And we will know he is here. Are you ready for that day? You see, wake up, says this passage. Take a stock check of what's happening in your life and make sure you are right before him. Check your walk against your talk. Are you right before the Lord? He is coming. You see, what you're living now is just temporary. The permanent is coming. Are you ready for it? I want to take you to a passage and I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. And that's in the New Testament if you didn't know. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Listen to what these words say. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You see, if we knew a thief was coming, I'd be ready. But it says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In the night, while people are saying there is peace and security all around us, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. He's speaking to believers. You and I here, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not in darkness for that day, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We've been warned, you see. We need to be ready. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. What a stern warning coming repeatedly in God's word. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, and that that means dead or alive when Jesus comes, when he appears, whether we are alive or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And so I need to ask you this morning, are you ready? If Jesus was to be in five minutes, are you ready for him? Or do you think you've still got another week or another Sunday or another message? 
Wake up, says this passage. Part of the antidote is to know that salvation is coming. We need to know that as a fact. The second, the second treatment to this problem we have is verse 12. It says, cast off the darkness. You see, every single one of us lives in this world. And whether you like it or not, like Linus in the cartoons, I don't know if anyone still reads those, but Linus used to just walk through clean air and, be, and he was dirty. We like that, you see. We live in a filthy world. We live in a tainted world. We just need to live life and we become dirty with sin. And this passage urges you and I, it says, cast off the darkness. There's a revulsion here. This last week and a half, I've been finding dead rabbits all over my property. There was a massive stink around. I checked myself first, but it wasn't me. It was this dead odour hanging around. And so I found this dead rabbit behind my shed and it was kind of spreading its odour right around the place. And then I found three more dead rabbits. I'm not sure what's happening at my place, but I found them and I put them in a fire and burnt them. But imagine if I took those rabbits and, think, and thought to myself, well, here are beautiful skins. I'll just kind of knit, knit these together. And then I took those maggot-ridden, stinking skins and I put them all over me and I walked into church and said, good morning. And you smelt me before you saw me. That's the filth we're talking about. He says, cast off the filthiness from you. You see, as we go through this world, we gather filth and maggots of sin on us. And he says, take them off you. Cast them off you. Cast off the darkness. You see, you are a child of light. We are supposed to walk as children of light, we saw in a previous passage. How can we walk as children of light with this darkness clinging all over us, stopping the lights? We need to cast off the darkness. Do you see the revulsion there, the filthiness of sin? And my friend, this morning as you sit here, you will have the filthiness of sin on you if you haven't bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't in this last week or even this morning come before Him and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner before you. I sin daily before you. Lord, take away the darkness from my life. Take it off me, Lord. I can't do it myself. And that is why I love that symbol of when people come to the Lord in Ethiopia, they will put up one hand and cast off Satan in his darkness and then they will hold on to Jesus Christ with two hands. We need to cast off the filthiness from us. The works of darkness from us. What are those works of darkness? Maybe it's deliberate sin in your life. You know what you should be doing, but you think, I know better, and you do what you think is best. That's directly contravening God's word. Deliberate sin. Or maybe it's those sins which you unthinkingly do because you've developed really bad habits. Maybe you haven't got a quiet time every day because you haven't built into your routine that you need to get up or find some time and regularly feed your soul. Unthinking sins. You might have other habits that you know the Lord has to work in you. Or maybe it's those respectable sins that you think you've got in you. God won't mind. It's just a little thing. God does mind. It's a big thing. It's sin. Cast off the works of darkness. So we've got wake up. Are you still awake? You haven't fallen asleep yet? Wake up. Salvation is near. There's urgency. The Lord is coming again. How do we prepare for that? Cast off the works of darkness. And here's a positive one. Put on light. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 12. 
put on the armor of light. But note those words, you see, there's a war on, and I don't know if you've noticed yet in life, there's a war on. Life isn't cruisy. Before you know it, you will find yourself attacked from all sides if you're a believer. You don't even have to try hard. There is a war on. And this passage calls us to put on the armour of light. What is that armour of light? Now, there might be some here that don't know what it is. So, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. If you ever want to know about armour, immediately. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Go and look at that passage. Turn with me, if you would, to that passage. Ephesians 6. And we're going to read through this passage. It is really, really important. It was quite good in Ethiopia when I read these passages. As I read this, the different parts of the armour, some of the believers would stand up and make as if they're putting it on. The belt, the helmet. It was really good, so I'm looking forward to some. Alright, verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord. I'll repeat that again, in case you missed it. Be strong. In the Lord, not in yourself, by the way, and in the strength of His might. How do we do that? We do that by putting on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? Of the devil, you see. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and you might have thought you did, those people that don't like you in life, no, no. It's against Satan himself and his minions. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when you read that and you feel intimidated, that's right. That's quite a force. But you know, our God is greater than that. He has overcome Satan and all his minions and he has given us a way to stand against the cosmic darkness. Sounds like a science fiction thing. But it's real. Here is the armour that we are to put on. And I ask you as we read through this, do a spiritual check on yourself. Have I got on these these bits of armour? Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on. Here we go, it's action time now. The belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, without which, sorry, the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Now, there is no time this morning to go through all that. That is, there are a few sermons over there. So, in your own time, you need to go back to that passage. But note there, the last verse there that we read, part of our armour is to keep alert against the schemes of the devil. That is part of your armour. And so, put on the armour of light this morning. If you haven't got it on, go this week before the Lord And one by one, put on those pieces of armour before the Lord. And you will notice the difference in your life. You will. 
You see, there are quite a few of us in this Christian life that get hurt unnecessarily because we haven't put on, in obedience, the armour of light. We think we can go through without putting on this armour. And so we get hurt unnecessarily. And yes, it's inevitable that some of us will get injured in battle because we're in a war. But put on the armour at least, start there, and protect yourself against this attack. Because the attack is all around you. Please don't have a blasé attitude toward that passage. It is so important. So put on light, put on the armour of light. Next thing he says, verse 13, and walk properly. Now I've always read that and kind of always skipped over that one somehow. Walk properly. As in the light, verse 13. Why does he include that, you see? There's a great example. When I was up in Waka, everyone's got cell phones, right? I already told you that. And they've all got little torches on them. And that's why you've got a cell phone, so you can see at night. The phoning, I think, is just a byproduct. But everyone walks around at night because they are not good roads here. So you keep stumbling over rocks. And so you need to shine that light on your road. And you need to walk properly because if you don't use your light, you're going to stumble around and fall and it's going to look like you're drunk. You see, we're living in a dark world. And without the light of Jesus Christ on it, and without the light of the Holy Spirit shining into our lives, we will always stumble over those sins in our lives. We will always stumble over sin in this world and be attracted to it. But we need to shine the light of God's Word onto these problems in our life. We need to shine the light of Jesus Christ ahead of us on the path so that we can see where we are walking. So that when the world looks at our lives, they can see us walking with the Lord and not stumbling around. You see, so many of us as Christians, we say we are believers, but we don't live with God's Word in our lives. And we stumble from one sin to the next. And the world sees us. They see the divorce courts. They see all the sin happening around us. And they say, but they're stumbling as badly as I am. We need to walk properly in the lights so that the world can see our lives and have examples of how to live the Christian life in the sinful world because then there is an attraction for them. Because they also want to live a light that is a life that is like that. Everyone wants to live a life that is good in that way. And so we need to walk properly before the Lord. Because in the end, the testimony goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't come to us. It points at Jesus Christ. Your life can be a testimony to the world. Show them how to walk. Don't stumble around with them in the darkness. Now, the requirements of Scripture are so high on us. I mean, that already sounds impossible to me. How do I do all this? How's it possible? He gives us the answer in verse 14. Look at this. How is all this possible? What is the 100% oxygen antidote to this carbon monoxide poisoning in my life? What is it? So, Lord Jesus Christ, you see, he says, he summarizes, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There's two things there. You need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But immediately you say to me, but I'm born again. How does that work? Put him on daily, my friends. 
come before him. And the best way to put on the armor of light and to put on Jesus Christ is on your knees. That way things fit on properly. You come on your knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. Start on your knees before him in humility and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the promises that he gives you through his word. How do you put on those promises? You need to open your eyes, ask the Spirit to enlighten you and read them and then take them to heart. Put on the promises of Jesus Christ. You need to put on his characteristics, his way of living, his way of living before the world. That is what we put on daily. Yes, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you need to put him on daily. It doesn't help just to talk about, oh yeah, I was converted about 15 years ago, and that's where your kind of life is. Put him on daily. You see, because when you enjoy your relationship with him, and that will result from putting him on daily, you will suddenly find that there's an enjoyment in your Christian life. The Christian life is no longer a slog. I actually want to wake up. I want to have a quiet time. I want to see what God's going to say to me in his word. I want to do it because I enjoy my relationship with Jesus Christ. When you enjoy your relationship with him and when, you are, when, you, when your life starts to be like him, then you can be light because he is now shining out of you. Remember we looked at that previously. We are children of light and we walk because in light because he is the light in us. That is how we make a difference in this world. And as we emulate, as we copy, as we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ daily, these things will follow. We will now not want to make provision for the desires of the flesh. You see, in so many of us as Christians, you are not the boss. Your desires are the boss. Who owns you? I have to ask you this morning. It might be Jesus Christ by name, but indeed, who owns you? Is it your desire? Those bad habits? The sin in your life? You see, this passage calls us to wake up to our condition this morning. Make no provision for the flesh. The literal translation there is kill off those desires. Kill them off in you. Don't gratify or satisfy those desires in you because they will own you in the end. Now, here's a little test for you. If you put on that, just flick back to the previous slide, please. If you put on that little tester in your life, here it is. You ready? You got the test on your life? Here we go. You're going to see if there's a black spot. Here it is. Are you willing to submit to Jesus Christ all or nothing. That's the test of your faith. That's the measure, that will show the measure of your personal holiness. Are you willing to submit to him in obedience to all his requirements for you? Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you now willing to follow him in everything that he says? And it will influence all aspects of your life. Every single aspect of your life will be affected. And then you will find that that black spot starts to fade away as you become more like Jesus Christ, as the Spirit does His work in you. So are you awake this morning? I want to give you a practical example and I said I'd share with you about an evangelist. You see, one of the, 
one of the symptoms of this carbon monoxide sin poisoning in us is this little excuse. The Lord says, I want you to serve me with all your life. And, I, and you say, well, what can I do? There's carbon monoxide in your life. What can I do? I want to share with you an example of an evangelist in Ethiopia. His name is Fanta. And no, it's got nothing to do with a fizzy drink. Well, there's lots of fizz in this guy's life. Fanta at an early age, at a conference, like those ones which we saw pictures of last week, there was a call for evangelists to go out into the surrounding villages. And Fanta put his hand up and he walked to the front. And when he got to the front, the elders asked him to go and sit down again. No, you're not suitable, they said. And the next conference came along and the next appeal went out for evangelists and Fanta once again was at the front. And the same elders said to him, Fanta, you are not suitable for evangelism. Go and sit down please. And then to, just to get him off their backs they said, come to the Bible college and we will, and you can sit under God's word and then we'll see what the Lord does. It's a good excuse sometimes we use as pastors. You just, we'll see what the Lord does. Well, the problem with Fanta, you see, was he was crippled. One whole left side of his body was no longer functioning properly. He used a big stick and somehow he managed to maneuver himself using this big stick under his arm. He'd move his leg and then push the stick out and then throw his whole body onto the stick and round. And so he wasn't, in the elder's eyes, suitable for evangelism because the evangelist had to walk 250 plus k's to get to villages around. And how could this crippled man do it? The third year, Fanta was again in the front of the conference when that appeal went out. And so in the end, the elders said, listen, you've come to us three times. We cannot send you out as an evangelist. You cannot do it. And so Fanta did something. He went out anyway. And what usually took evangelists two days to cover, or even three days, took him three weeks. But Fanta said, I have got the word of God in me. I need to go to these tribes. I need to go. And so he started walking. For three weeks he walked to get into the next area. Three weeks as a cripple. Because he was obedient to the Lord. The leaders had carbon monoxide poisoning. But he went because he was obedient to the Lord. He knew what he had to do. And Dick McLennan, who writes about the story, he says he writes the story in tears because he should have seen. But he couldn't read his heart. The Lord can send anyone, you see. And you know what happened to Fanta? He went into a tribe near Lake Abaya in the lowlands of the country, which is the next, it's uh, two valleys away from where Waka is. He went into that valley and there was a vicious tribe and they were cattle herders. And anyone who came into their area, they killed because that's the tribe they were. And lawlessness was rampant at that stage. And Fanta went to them because on his heart he had to go to them. And he said, what can I lose? I can go for three weeks 
I can go and preach the gospel. If they kill me, so what? I've got a half a body. I'm going to get a new one. And so he went for three weeks. And you know the amazing thing is God had gone before Fanta. When he reached that tribe, it turned out to be the only tribe that would accept cripples into their midst without killing them. Because some years earlier, and it was over 250 years earlier, a crippling disease had swept right through the whole village. And it had, and it had affected many, many people. And so they'd learned to get by with cripples. And they saw this actually as a spiritual element on these people in some form, whether it was the spirits or whatever. But they were to look after cripples because they were special. And here comes this cripple evangelist into their midst. And normally they would have killed this man. But because he was a cripple, they didn't. You see, the Lord had gone before, 250 years ago. He knew when obedience was going to happen. And it took 250 years for a missionary, a crippled missionary, to go into an area that needed the gospel, when so many able-bodied men had skirted around that area because they were scared of the people. It took a cripple to go in. And Fanta went in, he proclaimed the gospel. A few people came to the Lord, they put up a prayer house. More cripples came. It became the crippled church. Not the crippled church. Do you hear me? Many able-bodied churches are crippled churches because we cannot walk outside our doors and open our mouths and speak the gospel. We are crippled. But this was a crippled church. A church filled with cripples going out into the areas. And they, those cripples got into teams and they would hop their way across into the next valley and 250 churches were started in those valleys because of those cripples. Praise the Lord alone. And so I come to, again to you with this message this morning. Wake up. The Lord has woken me up in my life because there was definite carbon monoxide poisoning in me. But is it in you too? Let's wake up. Let's hear what God is saying to us and let's go where he tells us to go. And if it's your life that needs sorting out, then come before him today on your knees and put on Jesus Christ and then he will use you too as he did a crippled man. And the gospel will go out and it will amaze you what happens. You see, when, when um, Bob and Jean King went out, they never saw the fruit of their work. And now look at it. There are churches all over the Waka and Dauro regions. And evangelists have gone out from that area. But Bob and Jean are no longer there. They haven't been there for a long time. But the work has carried on. God is building his kingdom. But he uses obedient people like you and me. And I hope I can say like you and me. But we need to be obedient before him. We need to wake up. We need to see God at work. And we need to allow him to work in us so that he can use us to go out. I challenge you this morning, if there's an area in your life that you know you are disobedient before the Lord, that will be the area holding you back from the Lord using you. That might even be the area that God is using to bring all kinds of things into your life. Take it before him and get rid of it. I was going to mention this in another sermon, but I want to bring this in here. The Lord really vividly gave me an illustration this week of sin and the effects of it. And the way he deals with it in us. And that's in Hosea chapter 5. I'm doing that in my own private study. I'm hoping to be able to preach on a series on Hosea once we get through Luke. Which will be a while. Um, 
But you know, the Lord says, I will not leave you as a believer to allow sin just to carry on in you and not do anything in you. And he uses two illustrations, you know, he says, I will come firstly as a moth and then as a roaring lion. And I thought, a moth? I've never read that, actually. A moth? What can a moth do? Well, you see, the moth comes, and if you've been barbecuing lately in these beautiful summer evenings, you sit outside, there's light on right, and what does the moth do? It comes and flaps all around your face, and ladies, in your hair, usually. I've never had that problem. And the moth comes, and it becomes an irritation to you. It gets your attention, doesn't it? But if you don't pay attention to that moth, what does it do? It goes into your house, if it's the right type of moth, gets in your clothes, it lays eggs, and then next time you notice the moth, it'll be when your clothes start falling to pieces. You see, the Lord says, I come to you as a moth, firstly, if there's sin in your life. What does he mean? I will come and I will be in your face. I will bring that sin to your attention. And then, if you don't deal with it before me, I will come back. But this time there will be damage in your life. I will draw your attention to that damage that sin is having in your life. Because there will be. Sin cannot be in your life and not cause damage. And then the Lord says, if that doesn't work, I'm going to come back. But this time, in a different picture. If you were sitting on your barbecue porch and suddenly a lion roared up next to you, I think you'd notice. Especially in New Zealand. But I think it doesn't matter where you are, you'd notice. You see, the Lord says, I will come back and if there's still sin in your life, now I'm coming back. And there's judgment. I will come back as a roaring lion. And it's going to be a loud roar. And you will definitely take note. And you will be fearful of me. Because I'm coming back as the fearful God. And then if you do not do something about your sin. I will come back and there will be definite judgment in you. But I will not leave you alone. Because I love you, says the Lord. I love you. And so I plead with you this morning. Wake up. Hear this message. And go before the Lord and may he do the work that he needs to do in you and in me so that this church can become the light that it has to be in this community. That is why we are here. And Lord, may you start 250 churches as well from this little church because we are obedient to you, I pray. Lord, in your own time, You have brought each of us here today to hear your word. You do your work in us if we are willing to bow the knee. But if not, you come back with consequences to us. Because you will not leave us as a father who chides the son that he loves. You will not leave us. You will get our attention. You will change us to be like your son. Lord, we know that it is because of your great love for us that you will do this. And Lord, when these messages of warning come across our way, help us to take note and allow your Spirit to do the work that only He can do so that we can be a light into this community where we stay and into the far parts of the world. Do your work in us, we pray. Make us humble and obedient before you. We ask this in your precious, precious name. Amen.